The title I've given this morning's sermon is The Blessing of God's Word is Not in the Hearing, It's in the Doing. The Blessing of God's Word is Not in the Hearing, But in the Doing. These blessings begin with hearing and receiving God's Word. Uh, the blessings begin with hearing and receiving the Word. Notice there in verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Notice the three commands he gives right there, rapid fire. Um, as I promised before in the book of James, he likes to tell you as a Christian how to live your Christian life. Um, and he, he, he's very exhortative like that. So uh, for some of us, we really need it that straight. We really need somebody to look at us in the eye and tell us, be swift to hear <laughs> and be slow to speak and be slow to wrath. Those three commands, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Notice first uh, what he tells us not to do. And let's remember the context. The first thing he tells us not to do is to be swift to speak. And the context is trials and temptation. Uh, the time that we're supposed to have our listening ears on is when the times are hard and hardest around us. Uh, that's when we're most prone to say silly things, <laughs> according to scripture. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the book of Job. Uh, Job was suffering and going through a trial and being tempted in all kinds of ways uh, to say and do wrong things. And he had three comforters who did a great job comforting him when they said nothing. <laughs> And then they started sharing their thoughts on why it was that he was suffering. And then he suffered more because of that. Uh, but then Job starts defending himself and, and starts in part trying to explain why he's suffering and that he really isn't that bad of a guy. And it wasn't because of sin in his life and all of these other things. Um, but it, in all of those words, uh, God has a commentary on not just Job's friends, but also Job himself. Uh, Job 38 verses uh, one through three, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Uh, when God tells you to prepare yourself like a man, there's another prophet who it, when in his prophecy, he's like, prepare to meet your maker. Like that, <laughs> those are some real, <laughs> you know, that, that catches my ear. But the context was he was in the midst of suffering and he was trying to interpret the suffering he was in the midst of. Uh, and he was speaking when he should have been listening. And instead of being slow to speak, he was speaking quicker uh, than he should have. And uh, perhaps you remember the story with uh, Peter when he was uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Peter, not only in that story, but specifically in that story, he spoke not knowing what he was saying. <laughs> uh, There's some of us who are more prone to this than others. More, some of us are more contemplative before we speak. And then, and then there's people like me <laughs> where we're speaking the contemplations out loud. And God says when we're in those hard times and those specifically uh, temptation times that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be slow to speak to that situation. We're supposed to be uh, slow in how we react to that. Uh, and in the exact opposite of the slow to speak, we're supposed to be uh, quick to listen. Uh, now, if you have a, a teenager in your house, or if you remember being a teenager, uh, these are not natural skills. Uh, we are not born with slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, and even as believers, uh, a believer writing to other believers felt the need to tell us <laughs> 
this exhortation again. And what we are to do is to be quick to listen. In the midst of trial and temptation, what we need is God's word to give us God's perspective. We don't need our own perspective being given. We don't even need somebody else's perspective given. What we need in those moments, uh, not that we need it any less in any other moment, but especially in those moments, is what we need is God's perspective on, on the reality of that moment. Uh, psalm 22, David penning a psalm that would be a, a, a psalm that's predicting of Jesus and his death, uh, starts off the psalm by saying, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He penned those words because those words accurately represented how he felt the situation was. Even though God had not forsaken him, he felt forsaken by the Lord. Jesus would quote those same words later on while he was on the cross to actually describe the reality of the situation. When he was on the cross dying, the Father did forsake him so that we would be accepted. But when we're in the midst of those situations, the way we feel often doesn't have the right picture. And the way we get that right picture is by getting God's view through God's word, and we receive that by listening to him. Being swift to hear is what we need in that moment. And another psalm, Psalm 73, uh, uh, one of my favorite psalms, there are many, but this is one. Psalm 73, uh, it starts off with him complaining about how prosperous the wicked are. He's like, all these wicked people doing wicked things and living long and happy lives. <laughs> Why am I doing this again? <laughs> Why am I living righteously? Uh, and then it turns right in the center. And I'm going to read that part where the, the turn happens and see if you can find out how his perspective changes. Psalm 73, verse 12 through 17, we read, Behold, these uh, are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, thus I would speak, behold, I would have been uh, untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this as a child of God, where you're like, I'm a child of God, my life should be blessed. And then you see all of these apparent blessings on people who are obviously not children of God. <laughs> and the frustration of that moment, and that you're trying to figure out how can this be? Uh, the psalmist actually tells us, he gives us words for that moment. <laughs> it was too painful for me to think about. I'm over here trying to do the right thing, and I'm the one getting in trouble. <laughs> I'm the one like, what's going on? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Why am I even trying? It seems like the good life is over there. And that change came in God's presence. When he went into the sanctuary of God, he understood the end of the people who he thought their lives was blessed. But then he understood their end apart from God was not blessed, that his end was, that he was being corrected by the Lord right now because the Lord loved him right now. But when you're in the middle of it, what you need is that change of perspective. You need God's perspective on what's going on because often our, our perspective is incomplete. When we have that wrong perspective, we're often inclined to, when we're slow to here and quick to speak, we're often inclined to do the wrong thing as well. Uh, the last uh, command there, slow to wrath, 
and he explains why we should be slow to wrath is because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I would take a quick survey if you could have figured that one out all by yourself, but again, he's telling us obvious things because we need to hear them. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God because sometimes when somebody does something to us, we want to uh, express God's wrath <laughs> ourselves, personally, <laughs> hands-on. Um, and we think that we're going to show them true justice. And we're not. We're not able to. We're not equipped to. Uh, God doesn't say to completely ignore those things, but to address them in a, a very certain way. Um, God doesn't say that vengeance is wrong in Scripture. He just says that it, it isn't yours. Uh, he says, give room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We put ourselves in God's place when we're trying to administer God's judgment in a particular situation. When we think it's unfair, we're like, well, I'm going to take what's mine then. I've earned this. When we haven't. When God is testing us and we're being tempted to do the wrong thing, what we need to do is let God sort it out. Uh, the word there for wrath is often used in the New Testament to describe simply that, God's just judgment of sin in the end time. And there's going to come a time when God will justly just all sin everywhere. Uh, my wife was talking with our boys about this earlier this week, and they were like, all sin? Everything? Like, even little things? And like, but I do little things. We're like, yeah. <laughs> That's why Jesus came, <laughs> for all the things that we've done wrong. Because there is a just justice of every injustice done by our hands. And we will either bear that judgment ourselves or allow Jesus to bear that for us. As believers, we're told that we are to be slow to that wrath because that's not ours. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. When we are in testing and temptation, we need God's view and not our own. Beyond that, your relationship with God truly begins when you come to the end of yourself. Your relationship with God begins when you finally come to the end of yourself. That transition I talked about is what he's specifically talking about there uh, in verse 21 when he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There are two uh, key uh, verbs here, uh, and the first one is to lay aside, and the second one is to receive, and the order is important. Uh, what he assumes here is you can do one or the other. And until you lay aside the one, you cannot receive the other. Your hands are too full. Jesus had this, a very similar conversation uh, with those who were holding to traditions. And they were holding the traditions in place of actual commands of God. Honor your father and mother. And he's like, you have this tradition where he's like, I bless this inheritance. It's to the Lord. So I'm now going to spend it on whatever I want. <laughs> so I don't have to support my parents anymore. And he's like, you honor the Lord with your lips, but your heart is far from him. You hold on to their traditions and set aside the commandment of God. And here we have the same kind of dichotomy. There's an overflow of wickedness uh, and uh, filthiness that needs to be set aside. And that needs to be set aside first. That is the key to receiving God's word. That's you coming to the end of yourself. And just in case you're curious, that's all of your own ideas and actions that he's describing there. He's not like the overflow of wickedness from out in the world, he's talking about the contents and the nature of our heart. Our attitudes, our actions and words are from God's perspective, apart from God, filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Isaiah would tell us that 
uh, our righteousness apart from God is as filthy rags. And if you want righteousness and God's righteousness, you have to set aside first your own righteousness, which according to God's standard is filthiness. If we had God's perspective of our righteousness, we would joyfully set it aside, all right? Uh, my, my son is at the age where uh, he still needs diaper changes, but he can communicate. <laughs> and so sometimes he comes to me and he's like, I got a stinky. Amen, brother, I can smell that. Let's go take care of you, <laughs> right? He knows that it needs to be taken care of. He wants righteousness on his life, <laughs> right? And for us, our new life and our relationship with God begins when we truly come to the end of ourselves, when we see what we can do apart from God and we're like, I'm done. Have you gotten there yet? Are you done with you? Because until you're done with you, you will not set aside the overflow. Until you're done with your way of doing it, you will not be able to receive what God has for you. Until you're seeing your righteousness apart from God as God sees your righteousness apart from God, you will not receive his righteousness. But if you are, if you have, like I have, seen what you can do apart from Christ and were thoroughly disgusted by it, and we're like, Lord, if you've got something, let's roll with that. <laughs> I'm really good at messing things up. If you can do any better, then let's do that. And the Lord can. He's the one who made you. He's the one who saves and sanctifies you. And when we come to the end of ourselves and we lay aside those things, we are now in position to do step two, which is receiving from him the implanted word. Notice how he describes that implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Again, that implanted word is received by being swift to hear by receiving God's perspective on whatever it is that you're in and whatever it is that you're doing. I often have this conversation with people and they're like, oh, that was wrong. I'm like, according to who and what standard? Who's the judge and what's the standard? Is God's word the standard in your life? Is God the one who's allowed to judge your heart? I know God knows my heart better than I know my heart. The Bible says so, and I believe that. You know, the Bible says, you know, our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the next verse answers that question. Uh, if you know, uh, Jeremiah 17, 11 says that, you know, our heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse, verse 12, says, I, the Lord, I know it. <laughs> We're told in Genesis when he sent the flood, he said he saw that the intentions of men's heart were only evil continually. Another way of describing that, they were overflowing with filth and wickedness. <laughs> and our hearts, apart from the Lord, haven't changed. The problem we have is a heart problem but when our heart is changed, it will change everything else. So we're supposed to lay aside one so that we may receive another. And this idea of putting off and putting on is very common in scripture. Paul is very uh, fond of the idea of saying, put this off and put this on. And for every put off in scripture, there's always a put on. And here we see them coupled together, putting off overflow of wickedness so we may receive the implanted word. It's a very long-winded and a uh, picturesque way of describing one word that we have in Christianity called repentance, which is really the main theme of today's message. I know it's not in the title. I had this realization during worship. I was like, I'm teaching on repentance today. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, you can have good direction, but without taking good direction, you're not going to change your direction. And that's what repentance is, changing your direction. Uh, 
I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced it, but I was driving somewhere and I missed a turn. And I, once I realized I missed a turn, that realization didn't correct me. That realization helped me make the correct choices after that. You know, I was recomputing my new, you know, extra 15 minutes to my drive. But until I actually turned the car around, that knowledge and those words were useless. And so likewise, God's word can be useless to you if all you do is hear only. Until you turn, you haven't received. Paul would say in Romans uh, uh, 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Therefore, putting away lying, let each, uh, each one of you speak the truth to, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Hebrews were uh, also encouraged uh, that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Peter in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Again, there's, it's not a one-and-done kind of a thing. Uh, I was sp speaking with my wife about this. It's an everyday thing. <laughs> uh, every day, uh, we're supposed to uh, deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. It's a, it's a, it's a will willingly laying down of your own will to take up his will. I have to put off this old man daily and put on the new man daily. And every day it's required of us to be able to do that. When we receive the word, uh, this is something that we ought to be doing as believers, but it's praiseworthy. When you see another believer being corrected by the word, you should praise the Lord for that. Uh, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. How do we hear God's word when it's being taught to us, when we're reading it on our own, when we're studying it using commentaries or however else? Are we, are we reading it and studying it like a document, a book, an opinion that's being expressed? Or are we receiving it as it is in truth? As, it, as if it's the very word of God. If the blessings begin there, they continue and they fully come when we actually repent. My second point is the blessings in hearing, uh, the blessing is in hearing and doing the word. The blessing is in hearing and doing the word. Verse 25, uh, 22 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Again, that's, that's a long explanation, a good definition of what repentance actually is, is when you hear it 
and it actually changes the direction in which you live your life. I'm like, well, I thought this was it. That's not it. And God showed me it was this. Well, I need to go do that then. Notice the first command, quite clear. Not just to hear, be a doer of the word. The, the command is in the, the be verse. So it's, it's telling you who you are to be. And you are to be a doer of the word. He gives us some clarity through contrast. He describes somebody who's not a doer of the word. Um, my my subpoint for this one is uh, how to be a uh, how to be self-deceived doer of the word. Kind of tongue in cheek, obviously. I don't want you to be a self-deceived doer of the word, but let's describe that person just so that you know what that shoe looks like <laughs> and feels like, so you don't wear it. Uh, first is you hear it and then you forget it. Notice what he says there. Uh, in verse 23, for if anyone hears, uh, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face, observing himself and going away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. His illustration with the man in the mirror is, is helpful. Um, I was a junior high boy once, and I don't remember looking at mirrors as a junior high boy, so I think his choice of a man over a woman here is... Uh, wise, uh, but I, I used to leave the house and not even care what I looked like. I, I matured into my 20s where I had a mirror. It was the one that was fixed to the wall in the house that I owned. I didn't own any other mirrors, and I would sometimes consult it, but I was like the man that he described. I'm like, yep, I'm there. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that contributed to my singleness all the way through my 20s, uh, but perhaps. I don't know. And the point is that he's making is that you can, you can see something and it not affect you at all in the way that it should. Now, uh, I was a junior high youth pastor for six years, um, and junior high boys, uh, if, they're, if they can live their whole junior high experience without ever seeing a mirror, uh, the girls are all kind of on the other end of that spectrum. Couldn't get them away from looking at any reflective object and examining themselves in light of that and uh, being extra critical of who they saw in that mirror. And here we see what can be typical of a junior high boy and could be somewhat funny at times, but uh, he describes as uh, somebody who comes into contact with God's word, hears it, maybe understands it, doesn't change them at all. They don't even remember it. Uh, you know, An hour from now, they'll be like, I have no idea what that pastor was talking about. They've already forgotten. Not significant, not important. If I was here this morning, like, and I knew the future and I could predict what was going to happen, and I was like, I've got the lot winning lottery numbers for whatever multi-million dollar lottery thing, and I was like, I'm going to read them to you twice, how many of you would have a pen and paper in your hand and ready if you actually believed that was true? If you didn't, you would be like, I don't even remember the numbers. <laughs> right? You don't really believe that's true. You know, that's whatever. Or maybe you don't value money or whatever. I don't, I, whatever it would be, it would, just, it would speak to one or the other. Either you don't believe that word is true or you don't believe that it has any value. And that's what this man does with the mirror. That's what junior high boys do with mirrors. <laughs> All right, here we go. And that's how we can be the first step in being a self-deceived hearer of the word is to, step one, hear the word but forget it. I'm reminded of those infomercials that I used to watch when I was, there was, there was before YouTube. It's like you would set it and forget it. That's what they are with, with the Word of God. Like I have my, I play my Word, I hear it, and I'm good to go. 
They're self-deceived because of that, though. They think they're good because they heard the word. They thought the blessing was in the hearing. Well, I heard it. I go to church. I listen to that study. You know, I, I, I do my daily Bible reading on my way to work. I just play, play the audio, and it's washing over me. I saw a video of a kid who was uh, trying to read quickly, and what he was doing was he was just taking his hands and going like this, trying to get the, the knowledge off the page into his face. I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> not only hearing it and not doing uh, not only hearing it and forgetting it, but the natural result of that is hearing it and not doing anything with it. If you don't even remember, you can't do anything with it, right? And uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you did your homework last week, you already knew this. Um, I'm going to encourage you each week to read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Uh, Jesus gives his teaching on what life in the Christian life should be like, and James finds almost all of his exhortations <laughs> from that. And so James is exhorting us through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not in the order in which we're, we have it in Scripture, but nonetheless, all of the topics that he hits in the main are, are there. In Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, Jesus gives a, a similar point uh, in this story that he tells. Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and uh, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the flood came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The one whose house fell heard the word and did nothing with it. The result was a great fall. Notice that the hearing of the word doesn't prevent the storm. It prepares you for the storm. Remember how we started. The context is be swift to hear when you're in the midst of those trials and tribulations. The word prepares you for the storm that's coming, and the storm is coming. The word does not keep the storm from coming, but it prepares you for the coming storm. It will be able to withstand what comes. The hearer who hears only is unhelped by what they hear. But if they think they are helped by what they hear, the one word he has for them is deceived. I'm not the greatest at counting things, and one of my jobs that I have over at CVS is to count the safe, and I almost always have to count it a second time. <laughs> uh, I'm just numbers actually out adding things up. It's not my, my strongest suit. I know that, so I, I always double count now. Um, but that's what he's talking about here is a counting error or having a false logic about something, thinking incorrectly about how something works. If you just hear the word, you'll be blessed. He says that kind of deception is a false logic. It, it doesn't work. And in fact, Scripture says the opposite. In James chapter 4, uh, verse 17, he says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The more you know about what you're supposed to do, the more accountability you have to do the right thing. So how are we to be doers of the word? Well, he actually describes that as well there in verse 25. How to be doers of the word he who looks 
into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Notice first he says, uh, the doer of the word looks into the word and continues in it. That means they look and then they look again and then they look again. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been lost, but uh, I'm not sure. In, in that moment when you are lost, if you have a map, how often you consult that map? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, there we go. It was upside down the whole time. Who knew? Um, and you're looking at what it says you're at, and then you're looking at where you're at, and then you're looking and you're constantly examining your life in light of that map when you know that you're lost. And that's what the doer of the word does, is they look at the word and they look at their life. They look at the word, they look at their life. They look at the word, they look at their life, and that's just, that's what they do. They continue in it. It, it doesn't ever stop. It just, that's what they do. They continue in the word. They, they hear it and they also remember it. They look at it and they look at their life. They look at their life and they're like, oh, wait, I remember that. <laughs> God says, don't do that. God said to be slow to speak. <laughs> right now I'm being tempted to speak before I listen. The blessing is in the doing. That's what he says there at the end of verse 25. This one will be blessed in what he does. The one who is blessed is the one who does. This is not the only place this says it in scripture. In fact, Jesus himself, when he was talking to his disciples after uh, he washes his disciples' feet, which means all of the other disciples thought that it was somebody else's job. <laughs> and then Jesus is like, I'm going to do it. And then after he washes their feet, he says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And then he, he says this to them in John chapter 13, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Again, if you knew what the winning lottery tickets were, had the numbers all written down, you knew it every week, and you never played the lottery, <laughs> so what? Who cares? I don't care if you've got the winning lottery ticket numbers every week, if you never play the lottery with those numbers. Like, you could show me every week, yeah, this is going to be the winning number, and then it happens. And every week, that just, you, you never play. And you're just like, the blessing isn't in the knowing. It's in the doing. Not that I want to encourage playing lottery, but you get what I'm saying here. <laughs> Bad pastor illustration, forgive me. Um, the blessing is in the doing of, of the counsel of God and not just in the knowing of the counsel of God. And hearing what God says about your life and where you're at and where you need to go and then going and doing that. The book of Psalms opens this way. Psalm 1, perhaps you're familiar. The blessed man is prospers in whatever he does. Let me read to you. There we are. Okay. Um, Psalm 1, uh, the first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, nor stands, uh, sorry, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you notice the lack of overflow of wickedness at the beginning of his verses? You know, he's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you notice how he is meditating day and night in God's word? And do you notice how that brings life to his life and prosperity that is there because his life is directed not by his own counsel or the counsel of the world, but by God's counsel, 
God's word. The blessing is in the hearing and the doing of God's word. Ultimately, others will be blessed when you hear and you do God's word. The, the work that God does in you that is a blessing to you cannot be contained by you. The blessing that God gives you is so heavily upon you and changes the course and direction of your life so that it blesses those around you. Notice what he says there in verse uh, 26 through uh, 27. Others will be blessed by you when you hear and do God's word. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this, one re this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the fa and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. God's word will work through you in what you say. God's word will work through you and it will change the way you speak. When you hear first and are swift to do so, when you finally get around to speaking, your words and the way you describe things will be from God's perspective. James puts his finger on, on this numerous times throughout the book of James, but right here, he points, out, he points it out saying, a bridled tongue is evidence that God's word has changed your heart, that it has changed your direction. Again, the bridled tongue is what he was commanding earlier. He was saying, be slow to speak. You will know you have a religion that has no use when it doesn't change the way you speak. That religion, according to James, is useless. The one who thinks that is useful has, according to James, deceived his own heart. He's talked about being deceived twice so far, and both times it's us deceiving us about us. That's terrible. There's no one to blame when that happens other than us. <laughs> well, how do we know and how can we not be deceived by these things? Well, when we have the, a standard of truth by which we can compare it, a light of God's word in which we can know where we stand and uh, what's before us in the path. The truly changed heart will have a truly changed mouth. And what is coming out of that? That's what Jesus ultimately said the problem was with people and their words wasn't that they had a, a mouth and word problem. They had a heart problem. The problem is what was coming out of their mouth was coming from their heart. Their heart needed to be changed. Well, how does our heart change? Well, we already talked about that. <laughs> by receiving from God, by coming to the end of yourself. God's word will work its way not only through our words, but God's word will work through you and how you treat those in need. God's word will work through you and how you treat those who have needs. Notice what he says, uh, to visit those in need. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. As if being an orphan or widow wasn't trouble enough, but when the troubled people are in trouble. How you treat someone who has nothing to give to you is often a revelation of what's going on in your heart. Your heart toward people can be an expression of God's heart towards people if God's poured his heart into yours. 
describes it by being there. Very practical. I like how uh, David Guzik in his commentary says, uh, describes this verse. He says, a real walk with God shows itself in simple, practical ways. We have some sick among us. We have uh, a few uh, heart patients <laughs> uh, who have had surgery. Uh, right now, it's our pastor, and we have a, a sign-up list out there, and it's full of people who want to make meals and run errands for our pastor, and I, I praise the Lord for that. But my prayer would be that even if it wasn't our pastor, if it was somebody else in our fellowship who is in need, who is needy to begin with but then has greater needs, that we would be as eager to serve them as our pastor because that's God's heart for them. That's God's heart for how it's expressed through us. Others being benefited by us because of the word of God at work in us. That's fruit. That's how others are blessed because we have been blessed. Last but not least, God's word will work through you and how you relate yourself to the world. God's word will work through you and how you relate yourself to the world. Notice the last exhortation he gives there uh, in verse 27. Keep yourself or keep oneself unspotted from the world. What that means and what that does not mean, we need to clarify. He doesn't mean that we're never intermixing with the world, that we should all go up on a hill somewhere, build a monastery, build walls so those worldly people can keep us unspotted. That's not what he's talking about. And in fact, Paul, in trying to correct some sin in some believers' lives, they, they misunderstood that. They're like, Paul wants us to stay away from everybody who's in the world, so let's do that. And what Paul was trying to address wasn't the sin outside of them. He was trying to <laughs> address the sin inside of them. And, and he clarifies this being unspotted from the world for us uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet certainly I did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Being unspotted from the world doesn't mean keeping yourself from every sinful person in the world, because otherwise you'd have to sign up for you know, Elon Musk's spaceship rocket to Mars or something, right? But even then, when you went there, their sin would be, because you know, it's not an out there problem, it's an inside problem. And what he was clarifying to those in Corinth was there, there are some sexual sin going on there, but I wasn't talking about somebody else's sexual sin. I was talking about yours and how you handle it amongst yourself. I wasn't saying separate yourself from the sexually immoral of the world, like physically build walls and be in a monastery or something like that. He explains uh, further, but I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. And the reason why was to get them to the end of themselves, to make them, because this, what he's talking about is a person who is comfortable in their sin, and then that comfortable in their sin person, who was named a brother, was also comfortable in that church. The purpose, in part, of church is to make you uncomfortable in your sin. And it's the job of your brothers and sisters in Christ to make you uncomfortable there uh, because where you're at is not good. I don't want you to be comfortable in a place that God says he's going to judge. 
right? And if we actually believe that, that should actually impact the way we live. If I said, you know, I believe that there's a bomb underneath here, and then I go on for like another 15 minutes, and like the bomb's gonna be going off in five minutes, and I just start talking to you about the weather, you're like, well, I don't think he actually believes there's a bomb there. <laughs> Why? Because there's no corresponding action. Lot, when he was being pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah, when he was telling his sons-in-laws, they thought he was joking. Part of the reason why they thought that, if you go back and read that story, is because as he was telling them, he was lingering there longer. He knew God was going to destroy it. He was like, hey, God's going to destroy this place. And they're like, oh, you're joking. You know how we know? Because you're lingering here. <laughs> he, was literally, he was the one in the story I was just talking about. There's, their mom is going to be judged. And he's like, but he's just hanging out. I don't believe that you actually believe that. If you're going to con continue in that or allow that to continue. So it, it doesn't mean we're separating ourselves from every worldly person out there. How are we going to win the lost? What it does mean is what Jesus prayed for. John 17, verse 15, Jesus prayed for us when he said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus isn't praying that the storm would not come. He's preparing us for the coming storm. He doesn't want us to not be in the world. He just doesn't want us to be of the world. So I ask you, has God's word become the standard of your life? Or is it some other standard? If you're new to the Lord, step one in receiving God's word is laying aside your way of thinking. And we all had a way of thinking before we came to the Lord. If you haven't come to the Lord, you have a way of thinking right now. You're like, when will this guy be done? I'm sorry. God's ways are higher than your ways. He sees things as they are. Step one in receiving God's word is laying aside your own way of thinking. Just hearing will not help. Hearing will not prevent the hardships that are coming, but hearing and receiving will prepare you for when they come. If you're a mature believer, uh, you are in more danger of knowing more of the word without doing it than our newer believers. You may know more than I know. You may, I, could, I could have taught that sermon better. You may be right. I don't know. <laughs> but are you doing the word that you know? Are you walking in the light that God has given you? If you're a mature believer, are you uh, giving counsel to new believers? Are you allowing God's word to not only light your life, but also light the life of new believers around you? You may be God's mouthpiece to them in, in giving them a word in due season. If you're a mature believer, has the ability of God's word to direct and redirect your life increased or decreased? Are you continually looking down and looking up? Looking down and looking up, examining yourself and not being a forgetful hearer. If you're not a believer here this morning, uh, the hope that you don't have but do need is that God has the right view on your life. God can prepare you for the storm that is coming. God has life for you and a perspective for you. Your future without this hope is when the storm comes, there's going to be a great fall. That's not my words. Those are God's. That's his promise to everyone who hears 
And that's here. We're all hearing right now. I invite you, if you have not ever received, to receive. And that first step is acknowledging you don't have what God says you need. And it's what he has. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team back up and the ushers to come forward to pass out the elements, uh, the reminders to us of what God did through his son to pay for our sins. Our sins deserve God's wrath. But Jesus died and took upon himself the wrath that we deserved. Let's give thanks to God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, it, it tells us the truth about ourselves to ourselves. It tells us the truth about who you are and how you live. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who took upon himself the penalty of our sin, the wrath that we were storing up for the day of wrath for ourselves. Uh, he willingly and freely took upon himself. Lord, I pray that we would allow your word to be life to us. Lord, that beyond being blessed in whatever we do, we would be blessed because we have you. And Lord, because of that, become a blessing to those around us. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to repent and to turn to you, to lay aside filthiness, Lord, to receive with meekness the implanted word. What a privilege. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.